everyone. Welcome back to the Running Through It podcast. I am, of course, your host, Justin Horniker. On today's episode, we're going to talk to Justin Herbert of Oral Roberts University, the assistant cross-country and track and field coach there, about some NCAA goings-ons. If you haven't been paying attention, the NCAA has been in the news quite a bit lately. We talked about it a little bit in my discussion with Casey Green of the you know upcoming NIL laws. There's also a NCAA case in the Supreme Court right now arguing over amateurism in collegiate sports. You might remember this as the Ed O'Bannon case, which is why the NCAA video games aren't a thing anymore because Ed O'Bannon was featured in those games without being compensated for the use of his likeness. So that is currently what's going on in the Supreme Court, but there are a lot of other things going on on the NCAA's radar regarding legalities and irregalities. Of course, we just had, if you're paying attention to the NCAA men's basketball and women's basketball tournament, there was that viral post about the lack of commodities and amenities that the women's basketball tournament had in terms of recreational areas, areas to work out compared to the men's workout areas. In a college system that's supposed to be about equal opportunities for both sexes, that's supposed to be about equal opportunities for all sports, revenue and non-revenue, there's clearly a pattern of prioritizing money and money-making revenues for this non-profit system that's supposed to be National College Athletics Association. Something that just grinds my gears is that the people making the decisions, the people in charge, seem to be solely driven by what makes the most money and have really lost sight. Not going to paint this in generalities because there are, of course, athletic directors who don't think like this. But the ones at the power schools, the ones that are making the decisions, seem to have prioritized revenue over non-revenue, despite the NCAA being, you know, especially in track and field's case, our, you know, upcoming youth system. That's our minor leagues. And track and field, as Justin puts it in this interview, is the lifeblood of world athletics. Track and field athletes from all over the world come to NCAA to hone their skills to make a name for themselves before going on to the pro system. And that leads us into our discussion today, which is the NCAA's decision to limit NCAA regionals from 36 athletes per race to 24, which if you can do a little bit of math, that's subtracting 12 athletes from both regions for every race. That's a lot of athletes being left out of regionals. And citing COVID concerns, but if you just look a little bit into that excuse, it's clearly not why. I mean, that excuse crumbles away when you realize that Justin Herbert actually put out a tweet today that he talked to members of the Competition Oversight Committee that decision would not be revisited in 2021, presumably one COVID isn't as much of a concern, and especially athletes in the U.S. will probably be mainly vaccinated by next year. Especially in an outdoor sport, when we just added teams to the NCAA Division I basketball tournament. It's a... I don't want 
I struggle coming off too negative sometimes when I talk about the NCAA because I think there is something about just being negative for negative sake and not offering solutions. But the solution is there. The 36-person prelims has been working. We talk about it in the interview, but there are a lot of athletes that have come from you know just sneaking into prelims to qualify for the finals and eventually make it to the podium, especially in a year where there is a severe lack of opportunities that there has been in previous years. You know, with the lack of travel, teams from out east aren't going to go out west to race in some of these high-caliber 5K, 10K races. Teams from up north aren't going to be able to make it down south to get into those hot sprint competitions. And I think, you know, in the northeast where there are a lot of really powerful teams, they aren't going to have that opportunity this year because of the shortened season, because of the ability to travel, so on and so forth. When, you know, track and field athletes and coaches plan out their season, they periodize the season and there just isn't that opportunity this year. So it really mucks things up and then shortening those prelim fields really affects the ability to pick a race. You know, you need to get into a fast race now. You can't just hope to sneak in on the last weekend at a last chance meet and then go from there. You actually have to plan the season around one or two main races. And I think that for this periodization idea in an Olympic year where a lot of NCAA runners will be at the U.S. track trials and will presumably make the team, it's a tough pill to swallow. And I think it makes track and field weaker in the long run as much as we want to admit it or not. That's where the NCAA in general is probably too powerful and doesn't know its power in terms of the actual sport. I talked about this in my appearance on the XC Org Top 5 podcast, just talking about you know one and dones in the track and field world. And you know if high school phenoms should go pro or should actually go to college. And I think it's fascinating, especially if the NCAA keeps going down this road of not making decisions with the athletes need in mind. And that's what we have to remember is this is a nonprofit organization that is acting with revenue in mind and seemingly every decision is out of touch in demands for what athletes actually need. So <laughs> that's my rant on the NCAA. We'll go into my talk with Justin. I just want to thank you all so much for listening in. When we come back, I will share with you ways of things that we can do to maybe impact the NCAA's decision or to at least spread word out. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening. If you want to go ahead, give me a rating. It doesn't have to be a five-star rating. Just any rating if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or YouTube Music or Spotify or Stitcher, wherever you are that allows you to rate this podcast, please go ahead and do it would help me out very much. With all that out of the way, let's throw right into my talk with Justin Herbert, and I will see you on the other side. Justin Herbert, who is cross country and assistant track coach at Oral Roberts University. Justin, how's it going? Uh, man, it's going. We're excited to excited to be here. Excited to talk to you a little bit, and looking forward to uh, you know getting this message out there. So, yeah, I wanted to reach out to you because I saw your tweets the other day talking about <laughs> just the whole NCAA prelim situation. And I don't know if that many of my listeners are too familiar with the ins and outs of the prelim 
uh, system that we have because it can get a little bit compl complicated. But if you want to kind of like explain just what we're looking at as far as what the past system was and what our changes look like for this year, what is kind of going on there? Right. So, um, oh, sorry, my computer is doing something funky here. No worries. <laughs> okay. Right. So, uh, you know, in the past, uh, we've taken the top 48 athletes, uh, in each individual event, um, based on the performance list in Tiffers, right? So you run the whole season, the top 48 athletes in each event, they, uh, move on to, um, the prelimit, the preliminary round. And then from there, your top 24 in each event qualify for the national championships. Right. And so, uh, oh, I'm sorry, top 24 qualify for prelims, top 12 qualify for the national championships. So, uh, man, what is going on here? Hey, Justin, I lost my Zoom feed here, bro. Can you still see okay. me? I can still see you. Yeah, I can still see you and hear you and everything. Oh, there we go. Okay, we're back. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so so as we talk about, like, like what this means right basically what they've done is they've reduced top 48 in each event to uh top 32 in each event right so what they've done is they've created what i what i've kind of jokingly coined uh the bittersweet 16 oh. right and and so what they've done is they've they've uh reduced each each individual event by 16 and um and they're you know kind of reducing the size of the preliminary round which i think is both rash and unnecessary and um you know especially when you look at the the meets that have already gone on this year we look at texas relays which is uh substantially larger than than what you'll see at either preliminary meet and we're talking about outdoor sporting events so i just i just wonder what alternative uh uh rationales there are out there because um you know the reducing this really makes no sense from a competitive advantage standpoint yeah and i think even from the like and i think you mentioned this in your tweets too like the limiting travel aspect of it too you're not really doing that because we have regional prelims so in the regionals no one's traveling that much anyway and yeah it, it didn't quite make a lot of sense which unfortunately yeah. with the ncaa sometimes that is the case <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know the NCAA is, uh, they're at a crossroads just in general right now. You know, there's a lot of things from a legislative standpoint, you know, obviously the NCAA is in the Supreme court right now dealing with, um, you know, anti, you know, trying to figure out whether or not they need to pay players and, mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're, they've got the NIL, uh, debate going on as well. You've got the transfer issues going on. And this is just kind of the latest in what I would call a series of missteps by uh, by the NCAA. Now, what's what's probably more frustrating, Justin, is that um, you know the the competition oversight committee, the Division One competition oversight committee, made this change based on the recommendation of a committee of coaches uh, and and track and field administrators, and that's that's really frustrating because I think that. Um, that's a very small group, a very, very small group of coaches. And I don't think that it was very well thought through. And so uh, I've been using the last, what I think it's 18 days now uh, since this decision was officially made uh, to kind of point out all the flaws in the thinking uh, that kind of led to this decision. So 
hopefully we can continue to do that uh, and hopefully maybe get a response from that committee at some point. Is there a deadline to where like this decision is irreversible? Is Has that been kind of discussed yet or? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I think yeah. that uh, I think at the end of the day, I mean, this is the decision they've made. And technically it's a it's the final decision. Yeah. Uh, but I don't mind raising hell a little bit. And, <laughs> and you know, um, I, I, I think I said in one of my first tweets that like, hey, I'm going to go at this. I'm going to attack this decision until you know, until prelims, until the first day of prelims and, and probably even after that, but at least until that long, because these athletes, uh, you know, it's 576 athletes per region, 1152 athlete spots. I say athletes, it could be, you know, athlete spots, uh, total that are being eliminated for really, for really no reason. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so I will fight that tooth and nail until, uh, until the end of the season. It's I'm like looking through Tifers now and it's kind of confirming my suspicions of that that twenty-four to thirty-six range isn't a good indicator because in today's NCAA, those time slots, we have so many talented athletes right now. The difference between twenty-four and thirty-six, I'm looking at the eight hundred right now and it's point six seconds right so yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and 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 if you look at you know so i think i went through and, and you know 47 athletes in 27 or in, in 2019 47 athletes in 2019 uh qualified for the national championships after being 33rd or lower on the wow. the the list you know so so these athletes are they're all americans right you go to the ncaa's mm. you compete you're all american either first team second team or honorable mention so 47 athletes which is just a wild number to me uh you know when you think about it and you know they finished those athletes finished as high as fifth place at the national championships uh, hassan abdi from right here uh, i'm from tulsa uh, or roberts right here in tulsa oklahoma hopefully you know that from the sweet yeah. 16 <laughs> but just up the road here in stillwater uh in, at oklahoma state hassan abdi you know uh 33rd qualifier out of the west prelim and the 10k finished fifth overall at the ncaa championship so these are not also rands these are not mm. you know filler athletes these are competitive athletes these are athletes who can compete for all american can compete for national championship and they deserve the chance you know, they, they, they deserve the opportunity to trot, you know. It seems to affect mid-majors a lot, I would think, who maybe, like, don't have the budget to put in, like, a 10K at Hayward. And so you, originally it's like you qualify for prelims, you make sure you get to prelims, you make sure you get out, and then you get to NCAAs, and you don't necessarily have to run the top time in the country to win a title. But it kind of, especially this late, in the cycle like you're announcing it when the season has already started and then now maybe some people are scrambling to find that faster race to try to get that qualifying mark to where they wouldn't have had to before right and so i mean that's a great that's a great point you know not everybody has the budget to go to peyton jordan or yeah or, that's what struck uh, me initially anyway yeah <laughs> right so whatever the case may be there like you know that's kind of the purpose for why prelims exist to begin with right because mm -hmm. You know, if you're a hundred meter runner at say, you know, uh, the university of Buffalo and you're a hundred meter runner at say the university of Texas, your seasons are probably very different in terms mm -hmm. of opportunities you get to run fast in terms of, you know, weather and, and competition and size of meets and things like that. And then, and then you throw in the COVID aspect, right? And so what right. happens is, is you have a, a, a global pandemic that has obviously taken, um, 
enough from these athletes already. And you're trying to create a safe environment. So you're, you're discouraging travel, you're discouraging, um, you know, these, these larger meets throughout the season. And so there really hasn't been a year where prelims is more important probably than this one. And in that same year, uh, you're going to reduce the opportunities that you're given to NCAA student athletes. And Mm -hmm. I just think that that's, I just think that that's a train wreck of a decision. I think that, uh, that there's no justification for that and that it's something that we need to fix. It's tough for me coming off a year where you had to cancel championships and now you're going to limit those opportunities again for like a generation of students that like just won't have the opportunity that they would have had. Well, you go from, you go from indoor national championships last year, right? Or you've got Mm -hmm. athletes on the track, you've got athletes at the facility already there and they slice it down. They, you know, they, they, they eliminate it right then and everybody goes home without the opportunity to compete. And that is a punch in the face, right? Like, I, you know, that's getting in the ring with Mike Tyson right there. That's yeah. just ouch. And then obviously you lose the whole outdoor season. Uh, and then you come back, you've got, you've got this indoor season and cross country season, which is just weird, right? Like yeah, we run, but it doesn't really count towards our eligibility. And so, you know, in, you know, cross countries in the middle of everything, it's just a very odd year for that kind of stuff. Right. But the difference in those events, the difference between indoor cross country this year and outdoor this year is that outdoor counts, right? Like this, this counts for their eligibility. And now you're reducing, now you're reducing their opportunities as well on top of taking it, you know, on top of them losing the last year or so of opportunities. And so I just don't understand the rationale for it. You know, I I don't think that there's a a real argument for, for these things happening uh, the way that they've happened. How do you approach that with some of your athletes? Like, what's that conversation been like if they? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. I mean, I, I talk about this with my athletes. They share my tweets. They like them. They, they retweet them. They, <laughs> they you know, know they're, they're spreading the message. You. <laughs> I think on some level, you know, the athletes are upset as well. They want those spots. Yeah. They want those opportunities. But, you know, when you're an athlete, you're a competitor, you know, right. and I, I think any of our athletes that, um, are in the running for top 48, they're going to, they're going to look at it as another challenge, you know, but I think, so the argument, or, or I guess the discussion really isn't about how the athletes think about it. I think it's about what are we doing to serve these athletes, right? My job exists to provide opportunities for student athletes, right? Mm-hmm. The NCAA as an organization exists to provide opportunities for student athletes and so when we get away from that (laughs) right right i mean that's but i mean that's literally what the ncaa will tell you i mean that is part of their argument in the supreme court so it better be it better be the truth right so we we as a structure an ncaa structure exist to provide these opportunities for student athletes and when when we stop doing that or when we start putting um you know the expense of covid testing or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be ahead of the opportunities for student athletes. Um, I think that we start to kind of miss the boat there. You know what I'm saying? And, and we need yeah. to uh, kind of refocus on what's important. What do you feel like is the driving force behind this, behind them cutting down the prelims? Do you think it was just bad information or coming from like a different viewpoint? What do you think came into this thought process? Well, you know, what's, what's fun is, uh, you know, I've been, I've been coaching collegiately for 11 years now, and I've been at division one level here at Oral Roberts for four. Mm -hmm. And so 
it seems like no matter how long you're in this profession, there's always these like old cats that want to tell you yeah. why things happen the way they happen. And so I've, I've been berated a few times on Twitter and it, it, people keep explaining to me that like, well, this is how the power five schools want it. And this is how the big dogs, you know, they, they want it to be smaller sizes and they'd prefer a descending order list or whatever the argument is. Right. Yeah. And I, I can understand that. And so when you think about why these things happen, you know, maybe the issue is that uh, this is what people want. I think it's based in bad information, right? I think mm -hmm. the idea is, you know, COVID bad. And so let's protect the athletes from that, which I'm, uh, I agree. I mean, let's, I'm, I'm by no means, uh, you know, I, I believe in masks. I believe in social distancing. Uh, you know, I, I believe in COVID protocols. At the same time, we now have over a year of dealing with this, right? Yeah. And, and we've learned and we we're putting on meets across the country that are as large or larger than what you would see at prelims. And so I think it is. I think it's a case of like bad information or misinformation. I think it's a case of like making decisions too quickly. You're trying to make decisions mm -hmm. and, you know, b before these things need to happen. I mean, we'll have a couple more months of vaccinations before before uh first rounds and so yeah and it doesn't make sense in the fact that this is the same organization that kept like the expanded tournament for march madness which is an indoor oh, sport which Listen, has a lot more I contact was, <laughs> i was in the stands i was in the stands yeah. at oral roberts florida i i watched my my oru men's basketball uh squad beat university of florida in indianapolis mm -hmm. from the bleachers i was there and so you know it, it's wild to me that we can have 400,000 fans in Indianapolis for March Madness. It's, it's, it's completely insane that we can have almost 10,000 student athletes uh, and tier, tier one professionals, you know, tested and, and kept in a bubble and whatever, you know, down there in Indianapolis. And we could put on that whole tournament, but we can't have two 2,000 person track meets you know, 1100 miles apart or however far it is from Jacksonville yeah. to college station, you know? So I'm just saying that, that th these decisions make no sense. And it mm. makes you wonder, like, uh, you know, it's interesting. You watch the, the men's versus women's, like you see the, the weight rooms and things like that. And you start to hear like how the, the male athletes are treated, uh, versus how the female athletes are treated at the, at the NCAA tournament. And I would, I would argue that you see a lot of the same, between revenue and non-revenue sports, yeah, you know, I would, I would be willing to bet that if the, uh, NCAA track prelims brought in, uh, however much money the men's tournament brings in that we would have full competition, you know, mm. and, uh, as a nonprofit, the NCAA needs to, uh, figure out how to allocate their resources and figure out how to provide the opportunities that they exist to provide, uh, as opposed to eliminating them. The other kind of thought process I had is that, and this was a problem with programs being shut down and things too, and that we're in an Olympic year. Well, for better or worse, the NCAA is, you know, track and fields proving ground for people coming up. And oh, yeah. there will be a lot of potential qualifiers for Tokyo from the NCAA system. So you're potentially taking away some of that potential from the athletes too who are going to be out of a meet or won't be yeah. as will be a little bit more rusty when they comes time for olympic trials in track and fields kind of in this like weird area of i feel like it is a little bit disrespected and a lot of things with the attention that it gets from 
like the Olympic movement versus the actual attention that the NCAA pays for, it seems like. Right. So I think, I mean, you're right. And it's what a weird Olympic season too, right? So yeah. like, yeah. you know, cause it's kind of two years of the same, you know, but yeah, I mean, anytime you take away, not just opportunities, but premier opportunities, right? right. I mean, we're, we're talking about, I mean, the NCAA prelim is probably second only to the NCAA region or the NCAA national championships in terms mm-hmm. of like best meets in the country. I mean, it, this, these will be the best opportunities for these athletes to run fast and to see competition. Uh, you know, I'm, I know there was a thunderstorm or whatever last time they had the East prelims and things like that, yeah. barring, <laughs> barring, you know, acts of God and, and terrible weather or whatever. But I mean, you know, you're going to get a collection of, of, you know, a couple thousand amazing track and field athletes at each prelim. And, you know, the depth, the, the, you know, one to 48, the depth there is so important to putting on a, a big time meet, big time mm. performances. And I, you know, anybody who's done this for any amount of time can think back to those prelims and think of like some amazing performances that have come out of there and some underdogs that have made nationals and things like that. And so, you know, when we, t- when we start stripping those opportunities from athletes, it just makes me wonder how many, how many all Americans uh, wouldn't have got the opportunity to race? How many, um, you know, national qualifiers, you know, wouldn't have got the opportunity to race. And, and, right. you know, what do we do about, what do we do about those athletes moving forward? Because, uh, you know, it, maybe it's just reducing by 16 for these NCA guys, but at the end of the day, these are life changing, life altering opportunities mm. for a lot of these athletes, you know? And I, it you know, means look, potentially ending your season before you would have had to, like, that's another four weeks of being with your program. Oh yeah. A out. month yeah. early, a month mm. early. Well, not only that, but it's, you know, you think it, it's a four-year plan, right? You bring an mm-hmm. athlete in and you you got to think about the year, but you also have to think about four years, right? And so when you start thinking about athletes from that perspective, you know, Sue Parks from uh, Eastern Michigan had a great post. She was talking about this, about how, you know, she had an athlete that, that qualified as a freshman. She was 47th or 48th. And yeah, like it wasn't her best performance moving on Mm -hmm. out of that but she later on became a national qualifier and so when you think about like the experience factor and you think about uh getting in these bigger races and and the both the motivation and the experience and the the understanding of what it takes to get to that next level yeah the belief yeah Yeah. i mean i mean come on i mean that's such a huge aspect of track Mm -hmm. and field right is is believing like having that mental fortitude and going through those experiences and, and finding success and so when, when you take 570 plus of those opportunities away from, you know, from each prelim, you know, what impact does that have long-term on the sport? And, you know, uh, not a good one is what I can come <laughs> with. That's, that's, you know, it's, yeah. <laughs> sometimes I work. Yeah. Cause I have a, I don't know, sometimes I think broader picture of like where our sport is in general. And like the NCAA is just such a, big part of that broad picture and i think sometimes it doesn't realize how big of a part it has and just like the health of track and field in general yeah yeah well i mean you know the ncaa is the lifeblood uh for for track in the u.s and Mm. and really track throughout the world i mean um you know i I can't tell you how many times i've seen international athletes come compete at at you know collegiate beats unattached Mm. or or whatever they need to do and i mean we watched a, a 
you know, a semi-professional women's four by four run this weekend down at uh, Texas Arlington. I mean, these are not college athletes. They, they come to these meets to find competition, especially early yeah. season. And so, and that was the that was the problem last year, last summer, is that there were no meets because no colleges were having meets because yeah. the season was canceled, and no one, no one could really find anything to do until late summer when we finally got the COVID protocols under control. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a tough, you know, the NCA does such a good job in many ways, you know, of, of creating these opportunities and, and really the individuals in the NCAA, right. The coaches, the individual universities, they put on these, these meets. I mean, look at Texas relays, look at Florida relays, look at what KU does, uh, you know, uh, the, the Kansas relays, Drake. I mean, there are so many Penn, Mount Sac, there are so many amazing meets, Peyton Jordan, we talked about, you know, uh, and these are really kind of the lifeblood of, of American track and field. And, you know, uh, it's just, it's just tough when we start going down this road of eliminating opportunities. And, mm. you know, I uh, just, I just wonder what the impact is long-term from, from these type of decisions, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I talk about it often on my podcast. Just like, I, I don't like being negative, but sometimes it's just hard, like not to feel that way when you look at the big picture. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, also I- you know, I don't, I don't view, I, I hope I'm not coming off it. Well, maybe I am negative. I don't know. I'll be <laughs> negative about this. I think it's a terrible decision. It is. It, it's, yeah. it's an awful decision. Any, anytime you are sacrificing, you know, athlete opportunity for whatever they're saying, I don't really know. I don't know. Is the point safety is the point like expense? I, I, I don't know, but regardless. It feels like a revenue thing to me. Like that's what it feels like an expenses thing. For whatever reason. I just I just wonder like I just wonder what the expense is to the NCAA at that mm. point right for prelims because we all pay for our own flights out there we all pay for our own COVID tests so so you need the same amount of officials you need the same you need the same facility you need the same venue I, I don't what is the what is the difference here for the for the preliminary round I mean we're not talking about nationals but I I just I wonder where you know I wonder where we come to this conclusion that like, okay, well, we need to reduce these opportunities. And I just, I don't see the rationale behind it. And ultimately I think it does more harm than good. And so, you know, if that makes me negative, then fine, but I don't want, I'm not, I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I'm trying to, you know, kickstart a, a, you know, revolution or whatever here. I want these athletes to get their opportunities. I want these, I want these, 16 athletes in each event to have the opportunity to compete, to have the opportunity to, to run for a spot at nationals, to, to compete for all American. And, you know, and there's precedent for, for these athletes to get those opportunities to do that. So, you know, I hope it's not negative, but if it is, then fine. And, and if the NCAA I mean, doesn't like it, then they can. No, I don't think you're being overly but, negative. I think it's totally rational. But. <laughs> so, you know, uh, all right. So anyway. say some of my listeners want to get involved. What can we do to help kind of further the cause to get the word out? And Dude, make noise, right? Make yeah. noise. That's, that's all I'm saying. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how to convince some of these guys, you know, I, I some of these, uh, the people that run our sport sometimes, I think they all got together like 400 years ago and made like yeah. a, a little bit you out know, of I, <laughs> yeah. and it's just, it's like, it's like, you know, nobody's going to listen until we make noise about it. Right. Nobody cares about the assistant coach at Oral Roberts university. You know what I'm saying? Nobody cares. Right. I, I, I'm willing to bet most of your listeners, if not all of your listeners have no idea who I am and that's fine. I'm, I'm a hundred percent fine with that, but we care about these athletes. 
right? And it doesn't matter if they're from Oral Roberts or if they're from Stanford or if they're from Duke or wherever they're mm -hmm. from. It doesn't matter. These are 18 to 22-year-old athletes who are competing in their sport, who are having opportunities ripped from them. So I think, you know, I start a hashtag. You've seen this, reinstate48. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm tweeting at the NCAA every day. I've reached out to almost every member of the division one competition oversight committee, uh, which is a collection of, of athletic directors and conference commissioners and, and, you know, make your feelings known, make, you know, let these guys know what's up, let them know that this is not an acceptable, uh, answer to, what is uh, a solution that we've already largely solved throughout the country for bigger yeah. meets anyway. Right. So, I mean, I can't tell you how many times my athletes test, we got to test two more times this week. And, you know, we, we test at least once, maybe twice before every single meet we go to, you know, and then you're outdoors. I, hmm. And it's like, Hey man, you know, they're wearing masks, even on the bus, we wear a mask, even outdoors, we're wearing masks. We're socially distancing. We've got, you know, we hosted a meet here at Oral Roberts and I've got the teams, you know, sectioned off in their own little team camps that are, you know, at least six feet from any other team camp. I mean, you know, we're doing everything we can here and it's largely been successful. So why are we taking that success and then using it as rationale to eliminate opportunity? It feels like sense. they made the decision on like old information, right? And like any, right. we've kind of, I don't want to say evolved, but we've gotten to the point in our protocols where we know what we're doing at this point in the pandemic, as far as running right. meets go. And it seems like they haven't taken that into consideration with. Right. And so the rationale was, I, I, I guess the, the, the rationale was that this is what they've done in similar sized sports, like swimming and uh -huh. diving and things like that. But it's a very, very different ball game in track yeah. and field. And, you know, your facilities are larger, uh, everything's outdoors, everything's spaced out. It's just, you know, this decision, of course, being made two and a half weeks ago, really at the very beginning, if not, if not even prior to the outdoor season starting for a lot of schools, you know, it's just, it's bad information. It's bad. It's mm -hmm. bad science. It's bad information. It's, we can handle these things in a safe way, in an appropriate way for these athletes. We can get them tested. We can get them socially distanced. We can have them in masks. We can address the COVID concern without limiting the opportunities uh, right. that are provided to them, right? And so, you know, I'm just gonna, if, if, if you wanna, if your listeners wanna help, tell them to get on Twitter, tell them to get on social media, hashtag reinstate48. And, you know, let's just make as much noise as possible because it's the squeaky wheel that gets attention, right? It's squeaky right. wheel that gets the oil, right? You know, so, hey, uh, that's that's about all I know how to do. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, Justin, I appreciate you hopping on the pod on kind of short notice. So, <laughs> And I appreciate you inviting me. Hey, and, and listen, you know, um, Justin, before, you know, let me, let me just talk about how important this is, right? And yeah, we talked sure. about these athletes not being not being also rans, right? These are actually mm. competitive athletes. And so let me just make a, a quick point about how competitive they are, okay? If you were to pull up Tiffers right now and look at the descending order list in specifically in the men's 10K, okay. all right? Go to the West Prelim, 48th place currently in the West Prelim is 29.53, 48th. Okay, so that person would be well out, doesn't have a chance of qualifying at 29.53, okay? 32nd in the West 10K right now is 2909, right? 2909, that's rolling. If you flip over to the East and look at the exact same event, hmm. 3008 is 32nd, 
3042 is 48. Now, no disrespect to guys that run 3008. That's a whole lot faster than I ran. But you can see the disparity there, right? Right now, 32nd in the East, 3008, 48th in the West, 2953, right? So it's about these opportunities, right? Like when you when you have these bigger meets and they get these opportunities to compete or they don't get opportunities to compete, depending on what the case may be, right. the whole purpose of prelims, the whole purpose of first rounds is to get these athletes together and allow them to compete head to head. Right. And so what we're doing is we're saying, hey, this twenty nine fifty three guy is not worthy of that opportunity. This right. this young this young man who's sitting 48th is not worthy. That's what the NCAA is saying. Not worthy of, of competing. But this guy who's run 3008 in the East, he's worthy of competing. And that that to me is uh, sketch at best. It took twenty nine forty three to qualify in twenty nineteen out of the East region. And, and this year it'll already take at least 2909 mm-hmm. out of the West. So the, like I said, I just want to make sure that, that your viewers, whoever's listening to this understands that these athletes are not, they are, they are exceptional athletes. They are, they are not also rands. They, these are not mm-hmm. the bottom of the barrel. These guys can compete. They can go run. They can go be all Americans. They can go be professional athletes. And it's so important that we keep that at the forefront because you know, it's I think a really it's so easy good to point. say. Yeah, it's a really good point too, because if you consider this season, a lot of teams are trying to limit their travel, which unfortunately, a lot of those high-profile distance meets are on the West Coast. You look at Oregon, you look at Stanford, you look at uh, you know, the Occidental meet. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of like Northeast schools aren't going to have as many opportunities to run that fast 10K. So it, it's hard it to is, find. It's harder yeah. to find, you know? And then, and and you know, the other thing about it is, you know, you, you look at where the prelims are, mm. right? And so our prelims are going to be in Florida, in, in Jacksonville, right? University of North Florida, Behind. which is 100% <laughs> open, right? Florida as a state, 100% open. Mm. And our other prelim will be in College Station in Texas at Texas A&M, yeah. <laughs> which is 100% open. So like we're going to these states. So like we're, we're not, you know, this this idea that we're concerned about COVID when we're hosting prelims in two states that, you know, are hundred percent open. It's kind of a, it's kind of a contradiction, kind of a controversy in itself. And so, so I just, you know, I just hope that we are keeping the athletes at the forefront, that we are understanding that these are athletes that can compete, that can and do every year athletes in these range, uh, this 33 to 48 or 33 to whatever range they qualify, uh, for nationals every year, Mm -hmm. every year we've got first team all Americans out of there. And so, um, you know, let's just continue to, to keep making noise and continue to be in that squeaky wheel and hopefully we can get this uh, at least reconsidered. And welcome back to the Running Through It podcast. Thanks again to Justin for hopping on this episode. I'm pretty short notice just to talk over what has been going on with the NCAA and, you know, what this decision means to the athletes. It's important that we continue to make noise about this because as of now, this is a finalized decision. And as of now, this is the decision for next year as well. So, If we can't influence their decision for this year, fine. It's a COVID year. We understand that there are going to be limitations to that, as misguided as they might be. But the fact that they want to make this 
the regular modus operandi going forward is something that we need to you know make noise about share those statistics about what it means to be one of those 24 to 36 runners that make it to that prelims and how bad it is for the sport to really limit opportunities and this is going to affect mid-majors is going to affect small schools more than anything since it is the power five conferences making this decision that being said thanks so much for listening today I will see you all again next week. It's funny, this podcast record has taken me so long because I get, I don't know, about five minutes at a time to actually record without they're doing construction outside my apartment to the point where it's very audible. So hopefully you didn't pick all that up during this episode. Wouldn't be squeaky clean. And sometimes it's just not possible with downtown living. If you're listening to this on the week of recording this on April 8th. We have some big track action. The Tennessee Relays are coming up this weekend. We have a some potential record performances coming up. Des Linden going after that 50k ultra marathon record, which is really fascinating to see a marathoner go a legit tenured marathoner go after some of these ultra marathoner records because I think it just goes to show some of the talent gap between Someone like Des in your general ultramarathoning community that if you know more marathoners wanted to move up, they could see a lot of success there. But it's definitely outside of my wheelhouse, that's for sure. All right, everyone. I will talk to you all next week. I have two exciting episodes coming for you, probably Tuesday and Thursday or Friday. Be on the lookout for that. Make sure you're subscribed to the RSS feed if you aren't already. And remember, work hard. Be nice. Happy running, everyone. We'll talk soon.